Coming up next, the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-22. In the north of the modern state of Israel, tucked into a canyon, there is a mountain that is called Gamala. Is this Gamala ancient Nazareth, the boyhood town of Yeshua? We'll be talking about that with Joe Bartling. He's a licensed private investigator. Ancient Roads. This is the podcast of Ancient Roads. Real Israel Talk Radio. Take me home. Join us for the next hour as we explore and discover insights into the ancient Jewish and Hebraic ways of understanding and interpreting the Bible's lessons and narratives. Now, here's our host, Avi Ben Mordechai. Gamla, an ancient Galilean city in Israel. Just a few miles east of the Sea of Galilee was destroyed by three Roman legions and it was lost to antiquity until it was uh, rediscovered in 1968 by archaeologist Shemaria Gutman after Israel captured the Golan Heights following the Six-Day War. Now, our interview today is with Joe Bartling. Joe Bartling is a forensic technologist and certified fraud examiner. He's a licensed private investigator, a PI. Joe visited Israel on five trips in uh, 2009 to 2011. He's been collecting and studying historical, geographical, and archaeological evidence about Gamala and the Northern Galilee since about 2010. And on several visits to Gamala, Joe has taken hundreds of photos, maybe I would even say many hundreds, and dozens of videos about the, uh, the this really amazing place uh, captured and preserved from history and uh, many historical references recorded for us in the works of the Jewish historian Josephus. Joe, thank you for joining us today on Real Israel Talk Radio. Thank you, Alvi, for having me. Just my pleasure. And uh, I suppose uh, uh, I would like to also ask you uh, to comment on the fact that uh, you were saying to me that you would like to bring a drone over to the mountain hill of Gamala, and uh, I don't know, do you think it might get shot down if you do that? You know, it might, because there are, um, you know, military uh, posts <laughs> all yeah. around, uh, mm-hmm. or all around Gamla. Mm-hmm. It is in the Golan, and mm-hmm. uh, Avi, I would try to get permission <laughs> first uh, <laughs> to do that, and uh, yeah, I yeah. think that would probably be a wise thing to do. I, I do have drone footage uh-huh. of Gamla, but it doesn't do what I want it to do. And the drone would tell us mm-hmm. uh, a little bit more about um, the entrance and exit ways, uh, how to get up and down and around, where where Gamla sits mm-hmm. in relation to the other parts of uh, the Golan mm-hmm. and Northern Galilee that it sits upon. Now, we're, we're going to be talking about uh, that Gamla is the likely boyhood town of Yeshua, meaning that it would have also been or it would have had to have been known by Nazareth or Netzeret. In other words, Gamala and Netzeret are 
synonymous terms, or that's what we're going to propose. I also uh, lean toward that as well, but maybe you can take it from there and just give us a just a few moments as to how you came about into this, uh, this uh, study of Gamala. My experience, my first trip to Israel was in 2009, and I was happy to join you on a trip uh, for Sukkot that year. Mm-hmm. And we had a number of uh, people in our group, but one of the topics that we came up with and we're talking about at that time was about the town of Nazareth. As a forensic person, I have a deep interest in archaeological research, uh, the writings, the, the, the basically how things look on the ground. And one of the things I loved about going to tour with you mm-hmm. is that you were very clear of actually providing the biblical and historical context to things. And when, when I asked you about Nazareth, you mentioned to me at one point, you said, well, we're really not sure where Nazareth really is. In fact, um, we think that they moved the town of Nazareth about the half a mile away because the buses couldn't turn around. <laughs> so you had made this comment, and, and I thought, well, that's strange. How could they move a city or a town that had these historical roots? And so it became a, a, a kind of an obsession with me that how could that not be true. There should be evidence there that would uh, lend to this. And the following year, uh, I went back to Israel on another tour of yours, and you took us up on this mountain that was on the northeast shore of uh, Galilee, about uh, four or five miles up from Bethsaida. Tucked into that canyon up there. Yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. and you took us to this park, this uh, National Geographical Park uh, called the Gamla Reserve, Mm -hmm. and you said something very specific to us in that little group, and you said, there's not 10 people in the world that think this way, but he says, I think this little mountain is one of the most significant places in history, and you went on to read out of the book of uh, the War of Jews, or the Jews book four, Mm -hmm. about Uh, the description of this place that was uh, by Josephus. And then you followed on that with a a reading out of Luke chapter 4 about uh, Yeshua and about how the the place where he was raised, that he went into the synagogue and stood up and read out of the book of Isaiah Mm -hmm. and sat down after he read that prophecy. There was this mountain with a pinnacle. We could see the synagogue that was there, the first century synagogue. And you were pointing to Capernaum down the mountain, which you could clearly see four or five miles away in the distance. And a light clicked on in me. And it sparked something in me that um, was a thirst, if you will, for what is this place? What is it about this place that has been hidden for so long? that for some reason in this age, in this era, has been uncovered. Why was it hidden for 2,000 years and only discovered in 1968? And why is it still a mystery today? Why don't more people know about this place? And so I searched for about five years. I went back there three times after that and uh, did a lot of research and have studied diligently for about five years. And I've written a lot about this on uh, my website, the Gamla.org website, Gamla.org. I'd like to actually read that narrative uh, from Luke uh, 4, 16 to 30, uh, if you wouldn't mind. 
Then Yeshua returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out throughout all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, or Netzaret, where he had been brought up. As his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the day of the Sabbath, the Shabbat day. He stood up to read, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, Yeshayahu, And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, according to quotes from Isaiah 61.1 and Isaiah 49.8, where it says that the Spirit of Jehovah is upon me, and he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of Jehovah. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not the son of Yosef or Yosef's son? Uh, Joe, I would like you to read the last paragraph, if you would, please. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with rage or wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they may throw him down, some, uh, some translations say headlong, over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way, and it says that he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbaths. Okay, so that is our introduction. So I'd like you to comment on that last paragraph, at least just to give us some archaeological or geographical context. So when I read this for the first time, I got excited because I said, here is the the, the, the most clues that we have of a place where Yeshua spent his childhood. This is his hometown, and it says right here that he was brought up in this town, and what happened? There was what, And what was there? There was a synagogue mm-hmm. that they held Sabbath there. They had uh, scrolls of the prophet Isaiah, obviously, there at the at the at the synagogue there was a community of people that were listening every sabbath to these uh, uh, to these teachings um, and the interesting thing was i think is that when he read this passage out of isaiah he said today this scripture or this word is fulfilled in your hearing in other words the things that you're waiting for the things that we've all been waiting for is coming to pass. It's coming to pass right now. And what was interesting is that they didn't see that in real life. 
right? They were living in a tough world. <laughs> they were under Roman oppression, and they thought that, you know, when this scripture is fulfilled, they say, wait a minute, you know, the blind people are not seeing, we don't have liberty. They were not seeing it as it being fulfilled. He was saying that this is actually being fulfilled right now in the, in the midst of them. They wanted it to apply to them directly, you know, right at that moment. Mm -hmm. They did get upset at him, and having seen the precipice on that hill, as we were looking over that hill to see where the synagogue is, and then you can literally see up about a, maybe 300 yards up to mm -hmm. the pinnacle mm -hmm. of that mountain, they would have had every intent to throw him off. And, you know, Josephus tells us, Avi, that 4,000 people died by the Romans' hands when that town was uh, besieged, and 5,000 people jumped over that cliff to their deaths, mm -hmm. according to the, according to the uh, writer Josephus. So the fact that this mountain had the capability to have Yeshua being thrown off of it and actually die is one of the few places, I think, in all of Israel that has that kind of topographical um, significance. Actually, I, I know of no other place uh, that could even fit that description, not even the town of Yotfat. It's it's north of the Sea of Galilee, uh, by, wow. by quite, quite of a distance here, but uh, not even that place has this kind of a brow of a hill where where you could get thousands jumping off of a cliff and dying. And it also mentions that the brow of the hill on which their city was built, you can see from the archaeological remains that this town had layers upon layers, almost like a high-rise, where there's seven or eight or nine levels of homes built on these stone bases and on, on top of one another up the side of this mountain. Mm -hmm. And you can see some of that in the in some of the photographs. That's one of the reasons I want to get a drone over there mm -hmm. to really get a lot more uh, detail in, in that. But the New Testament tells us in the Greek that Jesus or Yeshua was a builder. He was a tecton, and mm -hmm. usually that's translated as carpenter. But actually, it means more of, in the context of the Hebrew Bible, when Abraham was looking for a, a place whose builder and maker was God, hmm. or the, the Almighty, that that builder is that an architect, someone who knows how to construct a building or a town on top of one another. So it makes a lot of sense that Yeshua was a, was a builder of homes along with his father in that town. It would have been a natural, uh, not someone who works with wood as a carpenter, but as someone who is actually a, a builder. So this town is actually built exactly the way this scripture in Luke chapter 4 describes it. And then the last line that I read was, he slipped out of the way from them and went down to Capernaum. And from that pinnacle and from that site we were we were looking at that uh, at the peak of that mountain Capernaum is just right in the view it's probably four miles to the Sea of Galilee and another two to three miles over to Capernaum and it's down uh, 1200 or so feet and if you look down toward the Sea of Galilee you can see Capernaum and Bethsaida right there on the northern shore of, of the Galilee so this particular scripture meant so much to me because I could look at this picture of this mountain and say this could be it the traditional Christian city of Nazareth is 
it's a world away. It's a world apart. It's like, you know, uh, today you drive it in 40 minutes, depending on how fast you're going. But for them, it was pretty funny to actually take Google Maps and say, well, if I was Yeshua and I had Google Maps, how far would it be to walk from Gamla to Capernaum? And Google Maps calculated that as 16.9 kilometers by walking, okay. and it would take three hours and 20 minutes. And that and that's current Google Maps technology. So I also did Google Maps that said, how far would it have been from the traditional site of Nazareth to Capernaum? Because this scripture in Luke chapter 4 says that he went directly from this place and went down to Capernaum. So from Nazareth current location or the current uh, Christian location is 43.2 kilometers and it would take 8 hours and 47 minutes to walk. Wow. That's a long way. So how how far is 43 kilometers in miles, right? That's what, 25 miles, uh, 30 miles? It's about 25, 30 miles, yeah. They're about, yeah. yeah. So Gamla to the city of Nazareth today, or its uh, present location, is, a, is, is probably 35, 35 miles or so. Wait a minute. That is a lot of distance. So to say when he was done or that confrontation had come to an end, he slipped away and the text says he went down to Capernaum, Capernaum. So if it was the traditional site, almost nine hours of walking? Yeah. If he went from the traditional site, yeah. And interesting, it does say too that, and he was teaching them on the Sabbaths. And this is, uh, you know, very interesting about these particular locations around Capernaum because if you look at the three woe cities, right, the three mm -hmm. towns of woe, which mm -hmm. is Bethsaida, Capernaum, and Chorazim, mm -hmm. these three towns on the northern sh shore of Galilee, on either side of the Jordan River, are within two hours walking distance between them. So it would be possible for Yeshua to come down from Gamla, mm -hmm. go over to Bethsaida and Capernaum and Chorazin and do that in one Sabbath. Absolutely, but, but not, not from the traditional site. Couldn't. Couldn't do it. You'd have to wait till the next week. Hmm. That's right. So contextually and geographically, the location of Gamla makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And as per, certainly textually in this text, mm -hmm. it uh, lends a lot of credence to this location. Now, it says here in the text of uh, Luke 4, 16 through 30, they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built. Um, it is definitely a precipice. I mean, it is a sharp point. When you get up on that precipice, there's probably 50 yards of it at the very top. On the side that faces the Sea of Galilee, it's just a treacherous peak. It definitely is very descriptive. Mm -hmm. You know, if those people, those 5,000 people that were living up there, if they were all lighting candles for Sabbath, that would be a city on a hill that you wouldn't be able to hide it. You want to read that for us here, Matthew 5:14. Yeah, so here in Matthew 5, verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. 
Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about this hill being able to be seen from the Galilee, but what's unique about it is that there were 5,000 people, maybe 8,000 people that lived up on this hill, and they kept the Sabbath, and they would light their candles, and so on a Sabbath evening, this whole side of the mountain mm-hmm. would be lit up with all of those lights, 5,000 residents of that city, mm-hmm. and surrounded by darkness. Mm-hmm. Right, because it's in this treacherous valley, mm-hmm. and this city cannot possibly be hid, and it's just shining this bright light. We talked about also that this town could also be the watchtower of the north, to where when trouble was going to come to the north, that you could easily light a fire up on top of this mountain. It could be seen by all of northern Galilee. So this was really an important place, not only topographically, but as Yeshua is saying in the scripture, spiritually as well. He's saying, look, here's a mountain that is not hid. Let's talk for a moment about uh, the idea of Nazareth because of the uh, Hebrew root, which is Natsar, Natsar, Nun Tzadi Resh. So my understanding of, uh, of, of this term Natsar, these Hebrew words are filled with word pictures. The word Natsar is used 62 times in the Hebrew Bible. Hmm. And in many cases, is used as this preserve, guard, keep, keeper, keeping, watchman, mm-hmm, etc. Mm-hmm. It's used seven times in Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible that uh, talks about keeping and preserving God's law, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Jehovah's law. Keep his testimony and that seek him with a whole heart. That's not Tsar. Well, I think what I understand you to, to, to be saying or linking Natsar as a watchman to Netzer, a, a perimeter branch. In Isaiah 11.1, one, mm-hmm. right, there's a prophecy that says, and there shall come forth a root, a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and mm-hmm. a branch mm-hmm. shall grow out of its roots. And mm-hmm. this is the concept of a, of, a, of a shoot. Yeah, but you know the olive trees in Israel, right? Yep. And yep. if you look down... At the base of the olive trees, you will oftentimes see a perimeter of these olive shoots or plants that go around the tree. And those are the netzarim, the netzarim. These are these shoots. It's almost acting as if it were a guard to the tree or doing something that says, hey, behind me here is this gigantic tree. The people of Gamla, the men and women of Gamla, the families, they were zealots. And Kanaim, from the research that I've done and from the archaeology from this area, this was a this was a place of fervent Galileans, Kana being mm-hmm. this the Hebrew word for zealots, mm-hmm. sometimes used as a pejorative, but many times not used as a pejorative. Mm-hmm. In other words, if you really want to keep the law, you're seen to be zealous at those things, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this Kanaim mentality, this idea of the Galilee being strong, well, how many of Yeshua's followers were Kanaim? He had some, right? He did, yeah. Nathaniel, right? He had Simon, mm-hmm. who was a zealot, mm-hmm. he, who was called a zealot. Mm-hmm. Um, he had Judas Iscariot, Mm-hmm. who was a was also a subset. The most famous Galilean that we know of, the most famous resident of Gamla, was Judas of Gamla, who is mentioned in the New Testament. Acts 537. Acts 5.37. These are important um, principles pointing us to circumstantial evidence 
that this place called Gamla is and was Nazareth, Yeshua's boyhood town. Yeah. We will continue with Joe Bartling, a forensic technologist and certified fraud examiner and licensed private investigator, to discuss Gamla, an ancient Galilean city in Israel of the first century, just a few miles east of the Sea of Galilee, which uh, was a city destroyed by three Roman legions. It was also lost to antiquity until it was rediscovered by an archaeology team led by Shemaria Gutman in 1968 after Israel captured the Golan Heights in the Six-Day War. We'll come back after the break. This is the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio with Avi Ben Mordechai. If you wish to stay up to date with coming home news and information, simply register your email address with us on our website, cominghome.co.il. Stay with us. We'll be back to continue the second half of this podcast, Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. This is the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio with Avi Ben Mordechai. Stay with us and we will be back to continue the second half of this podcast, Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. You are listening to Avi Ben Mordechai and the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-22. Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host, Avi Ben Mordechai. Let us continue where we left off in our interview now on Gamla and the possibility of it being the actual ancient city of Netzeret or Nazareth, where Yeshua grew up. I think it's important, uh, Avi, to understand that in the context of first century Second Temple Judaism, that the words Galilean and those from Gamla were somewhat synonymous. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That Judas, that Josephus calls Judas of Gamla, but in the New Testament, he's called Judas the Galilean. Okay, wait, say that again now. So, so Josephus calls this leader of the fourth sect of Judaism, who's called Judas of Gamla in Josephus' writings, okay, he's in Antiquities, book 18, mm-hmm. he talks about Judas of Gamla, who uh, is part of this sect. But in the New Testament, in Acts 5.37, after this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. Hmm. So this wise man, Gamaliel, is saying, hey, you know, there's a lot of folks out there that have claim to be messianic or apocalyptic figures, you just better be careful. But the interesting thing is, you know, we as we mentioned, Gamaliel means camel of the north. Gamal is the Hebrew word mm-hmm. uh, for, uh, for camel. Mm-hmm. And this Judas of Galilee, 
is known also as Judas of Gamla. So the words of Gamla and Galilee were uh, were synonymous. It is also interesting that Judas is seen. This is not Judas Iscariot. This is Judas of Gamla. Mm-hmm. That he was he rose up in the days of the census. Well, what census was that? That was the census of Quirinius, who was the Syrian legate in the area of Gamla. Right. Mm-hmm. So Syria is known as, and this area called Aram, Mm -hmm. is the part of the Golan, essentially, that is east of the Jordan River that goes off, and it's generally called Syria, or generally called Aram. And here's another thing, Avi, is what language did Yeshua speak? That would have been Aramaic. And why would he have spoke Aramaic? In the land of uh, of Aram, essentially. Uh, well, you know, it's interesting as I reach research this, and I, I I went back to see the present day or the historical Nazareth is over in an area called Lower Galilee, that that particular area was not necessarily on the Via Mare, the trade routes mm-hmm. that went to Damascus, which of course Gamla is right on the path mm-hmm. to go through the the area, which the the native language of that area, those would be other languages being spoken where mm-hmm. the current Nazareth is. So again, we've got another clue that Yeshua spoke a language that is native to this area that is east of the Jordan River that is called Aram, or called in this text, Syria. Our uh, interview today is with Joe Bartling. He is a uh, forensic technologist and certified fraud examiner and a licensed private investigator who has been studying the uh, geographical and archaeological evidence about the little hill tucked way up in the northern sector of the Sea of Galilee up a canyon, a little hill called Gamala. Uh, Joe, what is this forensic technologist thing mean? Forensic technology is the area that I'm an expert in, and that is taking documents and researching artifacts, facts, documents, maps, scatter diagrams, relationships. At the end of the day, it's words. One thing that was interesting about Josephus, he said that when they broke into Gamla through the fortress, he said that the men did not pronounce the word the way we did. Hmm. Very interesting. We would say, why didn't they? Why didn't they say Gamla in a way that the people who were breaking into this, were they saying it in a different context, in a different word? So your so your training, your training really helps you to mine out the clues in the narratives to look and see what is really going on here. Where is this? What is this all about? That's what your experience is. Yeah. And I find that most of the time that what you see on the top isn't the right layer, right? Mm -hmm. For example, 16 times in the Gospels, Mm -hmm. Yeshua says, Let's go to the other side. Let's go to the other side of the lake. Sixteen times he says that, right? Now consider that he's in Capernaum and he's speaking to thousands of people and he wants to get away, Mm -hmm. right? Now we know where Capernaum is. Mm -hmm. He's walking across the top of the Galilee, right? Well, what happens when he reaches the Jordan River? 
he wants to go to the other side of the Jordan River because mm -hmm. the Jordan River is keeping him from going to Bethsaida, right, mm -hmm. and to Gamla, which is on the other side of this river, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So there's boatmen there who are fishermen at Bethsaida who are fishermen, but I'm sure one of their little jobs is they're Uber drivers. Mm -hmm. They take people across the river. Mm -hmm. They take them across the Jordan so that they can go from Capernaum to Bethsaida because that's where the fish market is, mm. right? And then you happen to notice in the narratives, and he went up on the mountain. The or on mountain the to pray. What mountain is there? The mountain is Gamla. Meaning that it would have also been Nazareth or Netzeret. And here's another one too, Avi, that you'll love. Mm -hmm. In the Hebrew Bible, mm -hmm. the same word for the other side is the word Ivri. It's the crossover. Mm. So when you see Yeshua standing here on one side of the river saying, will you come with me to the other side? In my view, I look at that and I say, be like Abraham, mm. cross over. Come over, be an Ivri, mm -hmm. leave what you have behind, mm. right, and cross over to the other side. So we take something that is just, okay, they just want to go to the other side of the lake, right? Some things that's very benign, and you look and say, why did Yeshua say this 16 times in the Gospels? This has to mean more right? Then just go to the other side of the lake. And then he brings them up to the top of a hill or a mountain, and there he teaches them about the kingdom of God. Exactly. So let me tell you a little bit about the Jordan River. This is one of the most exciting things, and the location of Gamla to this is just really incredible. Maybe to clarify things, the location of Gamla slash Nazareth. Avi, one of the things that we, we hear all the time is this story of, of John the Baptist. Now, John chapter 1 is establishing mm -hmm. the divine, the divinity of, of Yeshua. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important to see that this particular setting is connecting him to Isaiah and connecting him to this divine mission. And so John chapter 1, 19 says, Jews sent out priests and Pharisees to ask John, who he is. And they asked John, he quotes Isaiah 40, verse 3, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, as the prophet Isaiah says. So John 1:28 gives us the exact location that this happens. Hmm. It says, these things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Hmm. This word Bethabara is in the Texas Receptus, they call it Bethany, mm -hmm. but Bethabara means it's a ford or it's a place where you cross the river. Now, where in the Jordan River is this? Well, it comes and tells you a little bit further. John 129, John sees Yeshua coming to him, proceeds to baptize him at this location beyond the Jordan and perhaps at this ford in the river. And then it says the next day, in other words, nearby, mm -hmm. where John is baptizing, mm -hmm. John is talking with two of his disciples, according to John 1.35, and he sees Yeshua and tells the two disciples, one of whom we find out in John 1.40, is Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Mm. And this is the quote, John 1.36. And looking at Jesus, he walked and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. So we're told in John 1.37 that John's two disciples, who have just heard Jesus speak, they follow Jesus now. Mm -hmm. One of these disciples is Andrew. He searches out his brother Simon, 
mm-hmm. tells him he's found the Messiah and brings him to meet Jesus. And the next day, quote, in the Galilee, according to John 1.43, Jesus finds Philip, who's from Bethsaida, and the next verse tells us that all three men, Andrew, Simon, and Philip, are from Bethsaida. Mm-hmm. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Mm-hmm. So John 1.44. So right there is Jordan River, as it comes into the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum's on the west side mm-hmm. of that Jordan River, Bethsaida's on the right side, and John is baptizing where? Right there. You think he's immersing right there near Bethsaida then? Absolutely. The traditional location that everybody seems to think is to the south, about a, a 140 or so kilometers, about 70, 80 miles south of that near opposite Jericho or something. Does this fit? Does the evidence support this? Hmm. You can see that this mouth of the Jordan River where Bethsaida is, is at this ford in the river where the Jordan River meets the Sea of Galilee, five miles from Gamla. Mm -hmm. So interestingly enough that we're right here in Bethsaida talking about this. So we find out in John 21, Nathaniel is from Cana Mm -hmm. in Galilee, but more likely he's perhaps one of the Canaim. The uh, the zealots. Right. With their home base is in Gamla. Right. That's the connection. Mm -hmm. So now we have five disciples. Four of them are connected to this area with this five miles from Gamla. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, Mm -hmm. Philip and Simon Peter. Three of the four of them are from Bethsaida. Mm. And John 145 says, Philip found Nathanael and says to him, this is important. We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Yeshua of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Because Philip's saying, we found this Mashiach that Moses wrote about, and he calls him Yeshua of Nazareth, son of Yosef. They're looking up the canyon, Joe. They're looking up that canyon. They see this mountain that they know is a... Uh, is a deep hotbed for political zealots. Troublemakers. <laughs> troublemakers. Tr- troublemakers they're, who are saying they're, troublemakers. they're gonna get us in all kinds of trouble by the Romans. And Philip, who's from Bethsaida, says that to Nathaniel. Philip says, We found the guy who's in the prophets. Mm-hmm. Nathaniel says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And mm. Philip said, Come and see. Mm. If we're trying to tie that in with the current city of Nazareth, 30, 30, miles away. 30, 40 miles away to the west, way over in the in the, in the Jezreel Valley or overlooking yeah. the Jezreel Valley, uh, that just doesn't make any sense. Right. So he says here, right, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Hmm. Right. So Nathaniel says, so he knows this history. Right? We've got this history of Judas of Gamla. These are Zela, mm-hmm. the Kanaim. Mm-hmm, are, mm-hmm. You know, there are some mm-hmm. tough folks there, the Sakaris and others. Mm-hmm. So it does make sense. But Nathaniel knows them because he's a Kanaim. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's more closely related to them. But here, Nathaniel is one that's looking for this Messianic age, too. And so these, these guys of Gamala slash Nazareth, okay, uh, which is probably another name with Gamala. Let's let's talk about this. It's it's a hotbed of zealots who are saying we are going to free our land, our people, our nation from right. Roman uh, occupation. 
right? And, By whatever means necessary. Right. And they're looking at that mountain and they're saying, what, you think something good's going to come out of there? They're just going to get us into all kinds of hot water and trouble. Forget it. That's not going to happen here. So I, I can see the, the, the tension here in this conversation. And that would indicate, well, that Gamala is then synonymous with Nazareth because it's calling this area of the Galilee part of what's called the Watchmen, Na- Nazar, the Nazarenes. Right, exactly. Now, wait, let's, let's let, you know, I want to bring something up here for a moment. In your area, you live where? Uh, not, not far from Washington, D.C.? I'm Correct. That's right. So somebody in your area might say, we're going to go, uh, we're going to go visit the Big Apple. Or somebody else says, we're going to go take a trip over to the Windy City. Yeah. I mean, th- these, right. these mean things. So right. what's the Windy City? Right. Chicago. Okay. What's the Big Apple? New York. Uh, does Washington, D.C., by any chance, have any nicknames at all? People talk about the Beltway on Capitol Hill or, mm-hmm. you know, down on the Mall. You know, so, yeah, you know, we call it the DMV, mm-hmm. the District, Maryland, and Virginia, the mm-hmm. metro areas, the DMV. Mm-hmm. So we have little slang terms that we use. So why would that be any different in their day, in the days of Andrew, Philip, and Peter? Why would that be different? I don't think there is any different. And, you know, the next verse in John says something very interesting because the five disciples, three or four from Bethsaida and Nathaniel, who's from this place called Cana, what do they do? The next one is they have a wedding and the wedding is at Cana, right? There's a Canaim wedding, Hmm. a wedding of Cana. Hmm. And so Jesus' mother, Yeshua's mother says, they have no wine. Hmm. Now, why wouldn't Canaim have wine? Because they don't drink. They're zealot. They do not drink. So in one aspect of this, if you say Yeshua, they come to Yeshua, say, why was there no wine? The text doesn't indicate that they ran out of wine. Hmm. It says that they have no wine. Hmm. And the stone pots used for the purification had what in them? Water. Water. And what kind of pots were they? They were stones for purity. And so this ritualistic wedding, many of who did not drink wine, perhaps because of their purity restrictions or whatever. This is Jewish Galilee. They were taking their ritual purity very seriously. So it, it allows you to kind of take a different look at this in the way we've already talked about it. And then in John 2.12, it says this. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother, his brothers and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Notice the language, Hmm. they went down to Capernaum. Hmm. The same language we talked about earlier in Luke chapter 4, 31, when they wanted to throw him off the roof, they went down to Capernaum. I I can see your proclivity towards uh, forensic investigation. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the first thing is you have to understand that in forensics, you can't believe everything. There's a story underneath the story, right? Words mean more than what they say on their surface, and they can mean more than one thing, right? So a word is heard one way, but it might be spoken a different way. And so as a forensic person, you don't jump to a conclusion until you've thoroughly kind of investigated all of the context and the different kinds of things that that word or that context could mean. So I take that approach to this. I'm, I may not be right, but the idea is that we want to probe into these ideas and not necessarily take them at face value that what we think we are reading is actually, there might be something deeper. Maybe there's one or two levels deeper 
of these things that we've always uh, always read. Let's take one example. I, I've got one here for you. Matthew 24, 28. Uh, Yeshua is making a reference here about uh, the end of days. And uh, I'll let you read this in verse 28. For wherever the carcass is, there are vultures that will be gathered together. That's Neshalim. So this, not necessarily eagles, but mm-hmm. these are the vultures. Mm-hmm. Gamla is one of the world's largest vulture capitals mm-hmm. of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a refuge, uh, there are th- hundreds of carrion birds and vultures, huge uh, meat-eating birds that uh, that fly up and down those valleys and right over the top of Gamla. I've got pictures in, on the Gamla website of some of the some of the stuffed vultures that are that are right there. So he's looking at them and pointing to them in the sky, coming over this location. They're going to know what he's talking about. Exactly. And you know, one other thing that we haven't discussed, but it's related to this, is that there's a megalith not three miles to the east of Gamla Mm -hmm. called Gilgal Rephaim, Mm -hmm. which is an ancient 5,000-year-old megalith structure, much like Stonehenge. So this megalithic uh, creation of 40,000 tons of, of rocks that are there, this ancient place, is thought to be the place of uh, the burial of King Og of Bashan, Mm -hmm. who was the last of the Rephaim, Mm -hmm. the last of these giants. But one of the things this area was known for was excarnation. And so this was a place in this general area, in the same plains and plateaus of where Gamla is, is this Gilgal Rephaim, which they have doldums there, right? You've shown us the doldums there where Mm -hmm. these are just T-shaped altars, essentially, where where uh, these folks used to practice excarnation, where they would put bodies out on these doldums and, the, and they would let the vultures come pick their, pick their flesh away. So this is a culture that's been known in this area within eight miles, five miles from Gamla, three mm-hmm. miles from this location, mm-hmm. that this idea of excarnation or eagles or vultures gathering to find where dead bodies are this is very contextual to this specific physical location and geographical location. So the listeners, the hearers of these words from Yeshua would have uh, likely made that uh, made that connection, I would think. I would think so. I mean, I think he's pointing up to the sky saying, hey, these vultures are hanging around for some reason because they're looking for where the carcasses are. Hmm. Wow. There's so much that we can talk about on this, I'm sure. One of the things that I that really struck me when you brought this idea up to me 10 years ago and said, hey, you know, everybody thinks I'm crazy. <laughs> you <laughs> said that to me. You mm-hmm. said, you know, my teachers think I'm crazy. Anybody I share this with, I bring it up, and you think people are going to get excited about this. But, you know, one thing you said that was really important, and you said that, you know, maybe someday this will be known as something that is true. I'm not motivated by someone just saying, oh, you know, it has to be that, or it has to be this, or it has to be that. I'm looking at the possibilities. Does the evidence support this? Mm. If the evidence isn't sufficient for millions of people, that's fine. It makes us question another reason is why do we think the place of Nazareth is in its traditional site? 
does it make you want to go back to Nazareth? And I've done that too, right? And mm -hmm. you've done it many times as well. And I go over to Nazareth, and you know, there's something about the place that, for whatever reason, it doesn't have the the vibe. The, doesn't have the, the vibe. vibe of something special, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? And some place that is special. And and to me, there wasn't anything special in in Nazareth. I know that the Hill of Gamla since 1968, I think it's something between five and eight percent excavated. Yes. I mean, I mean, I mean, that's that's not yep. that much. Yeah. We have been talking with Joe Bartling, a forensic technologist and certified fraud examiner and a licensed private investigator, discussing Gamla as the possible ancient boyhood town of Yeshua of Netzeret, of Nazareth. Did he grow up there at Gamla in the northern area of the northern part of the Sea of Galilee up the Daliot Canyon, the town of Gamla, definitely a zealot stronghold, men who were considered Kanaim or zealots. Thank you for joining us on our study today. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai. This is the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio with Avi Ben Mordechai. If you wish to stay up to date with coming home news and information, simply register your email address with us on our website, cominghome.co.il. From time to time, we hope to answer questions and comments from our podcast listeners. So if you have a comment or a question, send us an email address to questions at cominghome.co.il. Again, questions at cominghome.co.il. And when you send us a question, please tell us your first name and where you're from. Also, we would appreciate it greatly if you will do your best to keep your questions short and to the point. Questions will be answered in upcoming podcasts from time to time. You've been listening to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, with your host, Avi Ben Mordechai. We hope you have discovered fresh insights into the ancient Jewish and Hebraic ways of understanding and interpreting the Bible's lessons and narratives. This podcast was brought to you by the Outreach Ministry of Coming Home, www.cominghome.co.il. Yah willing, we'll see you next time for Ancient Roads, Real Israel, Talk Radio.